You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. There we go. Can you hear me? Awesome. All right. Good to be together. Uh, if you want to, uh, oh, thank you, Esteban. Uh, if you want to uh, get this app, if you don't have it, you can follow along with the notes in the app. Where, uh, if you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here today. We are in the middle of a series called Living God's Word. Uh, before we get into the lesson, I have a few announcements. We're going to have a little bit longer time for our offering today because we're going to hear about some of the uh, hope projects that we did over Martin Luther King weekend. A lot of you, I know, were serving that weekend, so we're going to just, we had a lot of different projects, and so we want to hear from uh, some of the different project leaders about how it went because we each had our own project we served on, and we'd like to hear a little bit more about the other things. So. I have a few announcements here up front for you, and then we'll get into the lesson. So uh, one thing to note is uh, uh, Renzi and uh, Ugama had their baby girl this week, early morning on Tuesday. And uh, her name is Kimberly. She came in at 9.7 pounds. So a healthy, healthy baby girl. Uh, we have a singles devotional. This is an annual congregational singles event. If you're a guest today, our church, South Bay Church, is part of a, lo- a larger congregation called the L.A. Church of Christ that meets all over L.A., 6,000-plus members and all, all kinds of different settings. But all those singles are coming together. They do this once a year uh, in, in uh, February and have this uh, mixer devotional called Single Not Separate, Together We Can Change the World. All the details are on our website and on our app, but it's uh, 8 to 10.30. Our own DJ, uh, Sherwin Rusty, is going to be mixing uh, music, spinning records that day, or whatever he does, CDs. Uh, we have another uh, thing coming up on February 17th. This is on our, our website and the app as well, called Living Pure. Uh, this is for anybody that is interested in learning more about uh, tools to overcome sexual addiction, and challenges with sexual purity that are so prevalent in our society today. So I want to read you a little blurb from the couple that are doing it. It says, We are excited to offer this one-day workshop, Living Pure, on February 17th. This is a workshop totally devoted to sexual purity for both men and women. So it's not just a men's issue, right? It's a men and women issue. The workshop is completely Bible-based, provides powerful hope, many victory stories, and very practical guidance for all the nature of sexual sin, practical training, and there's also going to be a class that equips parents with skills to help their children navigate our current culture. So uh, parents of teens, this would be a great event for you. It's free, uh, but you do need to register, and you can register through our website. Uh, but it's 10 to 1 on uh, February 17th. That same weekend, our teens are going away up to the mountains for their annual winter retreat. Blueprint, if you haven't signed up for that, make sure you sign up for that. And uh, if you uh, are a guest and, and you're a teenager, the teens always get together right out there in the courtyard after church. So after church, meet, meet them out there and you can find out more about uh, that retreat. It's going to be a great time. All right, so let's get into this uh, word here, living God's word. Last week, uh, we talked about listening. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, living. And uh, remember last week, we talked about the fact that active listening requires energy, focus, humility, and patience. In marriage, but also in listening to God's voice. And so we heard, the, we, we learned about Elijah and that story uh, where he heard from God directly, but God didn't show up in the earthquake. He didn't show up in the fire. 
He didn't show up in these other huge things. He showed up in a gentle, quiet whisper uh, or a still small voice, as the New King James Version says. Uh, and, and so to hear the Spirit of God requires us to stop and listen for God to guide us. And God gave him really specific direction for his life. So we talked about uh, what Stephen introduced two weeks ago, which is there's two different words in the New Testament uh, that are, are Greek words that are translated word. One is logos, which is the universal uh, all-encompassing truth. And then there's rima, which is the, the word to you in your situation, in your circumstance. It's situational. And so Elijah heard the rima for his life, what he needed in that time and in that moment. And J- Jesus talks about listening. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So we talked last week about listening. Today we're going to talk about the second part of that verse. They follow me. So for Jesus, listening means there should be something that follows the listening, right? Uh, something Jesus said often, he had these different catchphrases that he would say, like, I tell you the truth. He says that, you know, if you read Mark, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Why does Jesus keep saying that? Well, there must be a reason, right? Another thing that he said often was, he who has ears, let him hear. Or the new uh, translation, NIV, they, they try to make everything equal gender, so it's not just he who has ears. Whoever has ears... <laughs> Let them hear, it says in the new NIV. And so, so that's kind of an interesting, kind of weird phrase, right? What does that mean? Whoever has ears, let them hear. What does that even mean? It meant something really specific to his original audience because of that word here. And, and, and there's a lot of weight that carries. That, that's kind of one of the most prominent Hebrew words to hear. And it has more meaning than maybe it means for us today. So I want to show you a quick video about that that kind of gives you the basis for that saying of Jesus. Whoever has ears... Let him hear. Let's watch this video about the uh, Hebrew For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. 
Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the ones speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. All right, cool video, right? So. Now you understand a little bit more, right? When Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now you understand what he meant, right? He meant it should translate into your life. Uh, Steve mentioned a couple weeks ago, he said, Jesus' word, when it's obeyed, it produces a new reality. Jesus' word is all about what do you do with that word, not just hearing it. And yet in Christianity today, somehow we've watered down that idea of listening to the word to be where, where people can become familiar with Jesus or his words or his teachings. or Like, I accept Jesus. I accept that he exists. I accept who he is. I accept that he died for me. But, but there's no change in our life. That's, that's kind of our flavor of Christianity in our country, right? That, that oh, yeah, I accept Jesus. I, I, I believe that he existed. But, but no, if you, if you shema, if you hear him, if you listen to him, that means it should produce change in your life. There should be action as a result of that. And, and this had so much to do with a lot of Jesus' teaching. And we, we understand this. I mean, if you come over to my house and, and, and I give you a cup of coffee, and then I see you grabbing a spoonful of some uh, white crystals out of a little jar, and I say, oh, that's not sugar, that's salt. And you just you look at me and you nod, and then you proceed to put a, a few spoonfuls into your coffee. Either one of two things, either you, you didn't listen or... You really like salty coffee. Um, but, but, but it would be so weird for you to be like, oh, yeah, I heard you. Yeah, I don't want salty coffee. You know, like you hear it and you, it produces something. It produces a change. That's what Jesus meant when he, when he said you got to not just hear my words but do what I say. And so in Matthew 7, let's turn over there and uh, read a little, little snippet of Jesus' teaching. But this is a, a theme throughout his teaching that you not just hear his word, but, but keep it. Uh, Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? These are very religious people who obviously believe in Jesus. They're calling him Lord, right? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This is one of the scariest passages in the Bible. And, and yet, it, this is Jesus himself speaking as recorded by his disciples. We can't water this down. 
it would be a lot easier just to say, yeah, all you got to do is just mentally kind of give a mental assent to Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. But the fact is, the Bible says even the demons believe in Jesus. So there has to be more than just, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It has to bring life change. You've got to actually carry it out in your life. That doesn't mean be perfect. Jesus never says here you have to be perfect. But he says, what I say, you need to do that. You've got to do the will of my Father. There's more than just belief or more than just hearing my words. And he gives an analogy in verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. What does that mean, he had authority? What he said is like, I expect this to be obeyed. That's authority. You know, if your boss tells you to do something... And you kind of just blow it off. Well, I know I, under, I heard you. I just don't want to do that. That's not going to be a good boss-employee relationship. Why? Because he has authority. And when Jesus speaks, he has authority. He expects us to obey. He expects us to respect his authority, as, as the video talked about. And this story he tells, unfortunately, it has kind of become in our culture like a little kid's picture book story. You know what I mean? We have the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys know that story? The song. You know, it's become this little kid's thing. Jesus wasn't talking to little kids here. He was talking to people like you and me who want to just hear his words, but we don't really want to do it. Especially the parts that are hard. Or especially the parts that challenge us. That's the, who the, the story is spoken to. It's to you and to me. And it's a very common thing in his time in, in this village community to see someone building a house. And where you build your house, that's the first most important uh, step in ancient, uh, in ancient Near East. Is like Where are you going to pick to build that house? That's the most important thing about building a house is where are you going to choose to build it? Even in our time, even nowadays, the, uh, the, the little lot next to us where we live, was, it, it was one little house on a, on a big lot. And so after we'd lived there about 10 years, 15 years or something, they decided they wanted to put another house right next to us. And so they, they went to go build a house there, and then they realized, you know, they have the inspectors come out and everything. They realized the, found, the, 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 the ground is not hard enough. So for weeks on end, they bring this device out that pounds the ground all day long. It's like all our dishes like for all day. We had to leave the house every day because it was all day. All the pounding is going to happen all day today to get that that earth hard enough to be able to then put a foundation and build a house. So that's even nowadays, right? And he's talking about the fundamental assumptions, what you're basing your life on. If you don't obey his teachings. You are, you are going to face a point in time where everything's going to come crashing down, Jesus says. And yet if you hold to his teachings, even though the troubles are guaranteed to us all, the rains will come down, the streams will rise, if you have his teachings as your foundation, as your fundamental assumptions in life, you're going to, you're going to make it through. 
and you're going to do well, and you're going to survive. So that, that's what he was talking about. Uh, I want to show you a, a, a quick video from Francis Chan about this idea of obeying. Parents, you will understand exactly what he's talking about. Why does that work in church and not anywhere else? Look, when, when, when my daughter comes to me and I say, hey, go, go clean your room, she knows better. She, she's not going to come back a couple hours later and say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said to me. He said, go clean your room. You know, what am I going to say? Oh, good job. That's what I wanted. No. And, and she's not going to come to me and say, Dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, that's not going to fly. And, and what if she says, you know what? My friends and I, we're going to gather together and every week we're going to have a study and we're going to figure out what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> no, none of that's going to fly. Just go and clean it. She knows that. So why do we think that this type of thinking or this type of talk is going to work with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was as black and white as you get. He would look at people and he'd say, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? He says that in Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I ask you to do? I mean, why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him? And, and he says in Matthew 7:21, he goes, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And parents, you can all relate to that. You know, you're not listening to me. And your kid says, no, I heard you. <laughs> no, you're not listening to me because you're not obeying. You're not putting it into practice. So the three things we're talking about today is life's practice, life's purpose, and life's direction. So life's practice is to follow what Jesus says. Uh, action is actually what makes faith, faith. And I mentioned this last week, but faith, the word faith means to put your full weight upon. So, you know, if, if I believe, if, if, let's say this thing was just, if you, you can't probably see, but this is an addition to the stage, all of this right here. And uh, this, this has been added, you know, this is an orchestra pit, but it's been added to give more, more space. But if this was all just installed, and let's say they put, we, we made this out of styrofoam, but it's a good styrofoam, you know, and it's going to hold you. And, and if I say, yeah, I believe that that'll hold me, but, but I don't step out onto it, that's not faith. If I step out, oh, I'm a little bit afraid. Okay, but it held. That's faith. Stepping out. So it requires the action. This is no faith. This is faith. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Action is what actually what makes faith. Faith is, is going, okay, Jesus, I am afraid of obeying this. I am afraid of, of giving this up. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit. I am afraid of starting this habit. I'm afraid of getting vulnerable about this situation. I'm afraid of being honest. Usually Jesus' word is pretty cut and dry. And we talked about listening to the voice of God. And, and there are some situations where we, we are trying to seek the voice of God. We don't really know. Oh, I'm not sure what God is saying right now. And we'll talk more about that in, in a minute, the third point. But most of the time, Jesus' word is pretty obvious. Should I lie to my wife right now? <laughs> That's a pretty obvious one, right? Should I be watching this content on my phone that's impure content? That's a pretty obvious one, right? Uh, should I hide the fact that I have a Bible in my locker at school? You know, like, 
These are obvious things that Jesus says, you've got to step out on faith. And it, it, it's scary, but, but the more you step out on faith, the more you see God always comes through for us. I want to talk about uh, something that came up in our, in our small group this week, and, and this has to do with life's purpose. Um, and it has to do with the book of James. And it came up in a couple of situations, so I thought, oh, the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to talk about this. So James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James is the brother of Jesus. And so it's interesting, a lot of his teaching in the book of James, it sounds like Jesus. You know, it's like, okay, he grew up around him. Uh, Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. And he gives the analogy of looking in a mirror and then going away and immediately forgetting what you look like. That's what it's like to listen to the word and not do it. You know, so that's his analogy. Uh, James also says faith must be accompanied by action, like we're talking about. Action is actually what makes faith, faith. And James says, says something interesting as well. Uh, he says, you adulterous people, this is James 4, 4. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And this came up in our, in our small group discussion this last week, you know, Wow, that's a strong statement. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And one of the brothers brought up, how do you reconcile that with, you know, when Jesus said, I want you to have life to the full and everything is, to, is given to us for our enjoyment. Like, how do you hate the world but still, you know, enjoy life and have life to the full? How do you kind of balance those two? I thought it was a good question. And then uh, I got a similar uh, question over text. You know, another brother sent an email uh, or a text to a few of us saying, you know, there's this verse, uh, and it's a similar verse in, in 1 John, First uh, John 2.15. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And it was almost the same question, this brother texted how do you reconcile this with wanting good things for your kids or wanting good things for your life like how do you have what did jesus mean when he said i I came to give them life to the full and that's uh, what jesus said in john 10 and so i thought it's really a contrast when when jesus is talking about life to the full and and i and i think some of the answers are, are found in these verses themselves but so in john 10 it's kind of been our theme verse for this um this series Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, they listen to me, they follow me. And then he says in John 10, 10, I came to give them life to the full. But he contrasts that with the thief, which represents uh, Satan. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. So Satan offers you things in your life but to ensnare you, to take something from you, to steal from you, to kill from you, to destroy you. Whereas Jesus wants you to have life to the full, but... Parents will understand this. That doesn't mean you just give your kids whatever they want anytime they want it, right? There's times that the best thing for your kid is prying that piece of candy out of their hand. One finger at a time, you know, and they're screaming, you know, and they're little, Ah, I want this candy! And you're like prying it away from them. You're causing them to suffer because it's for their own good. You know, they've already had three pieces of candy or whatever it is. Uh, so, so that's God, that's Jesus' heart. He wants to give us the very best, the fullest, the richest. But sometimes it means harsh, har- hardship, or sometimes it's not what we want in the moment, right? But it's for our benefit, and it's for what's good. And so in these verses, you know, James 4 talks about 
if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God, that's going to hurt you. That's, that's on the, the wrong side. That's on the thief side of things. Yet in James 1, 17, God gives us perfect gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God does bless us. And God wants us to appreciate those things. Man, I love, I love having a great meal with friends. I love a nice glass of wine. I love watching a great movie with my family. You know, those are great moments. Those are good things. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis says that these good things, these pleasurable things in life are, are, are uh, given to us as a little glimpse of future glory in heaven. That we have this future reality, a physical reality that, that's going to be all good. And so those good moments are good and to be enjoyed. But the problem is if those things become our idols, we, if we begin to worship those, those things. In uh, 1 John 2, the one that the brother texted, it, it mentions these things to be avoided, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those things don't come from God. Those come from the world. And that really describes, you know, in my, my old office environment, that pretty much describes all the guys in the office, you know. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's kind of who we are apart from God. And yet, in, in, in the kingdom of God, it's, it's the love of the Father. It's doing the will of God. It's, it's living the life that He has for us. That's life to the full. That's the purpose of life. And so, uh, you know, another example is, is God provides everything for our enjoyment. In 1 Timothy 6, the context is, command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. It's not oh, a sin to be rich. It's a sin to put your hope in your wealth. Right? That's not going to give you purpose in life or meaning in life it's good it's use it use it as a tool jesus says use wealth as a tool for friends use it on people but but it's not to be worshiped and god is the one that provides for our enjoyment does that make sense so uh so this brings up this idea of of what is purpose in life and what what are we here for why does god want us to be here and in our, we had a staff discussion on Tuesday, uh, and a couple of the brothers who work with campus students were talking about how they're seeing something common, a common issue with a lot of the students who study the Bible, and that is that they're, they, they really have this kind of view of God or of his word uh, or of who God is, that God is here to make me happy. And kind of my purpose, my meaning in life is to be happy, to find enjoyment, to be you know, to be comfortable, for things to go well for me. That's kind of my purpose in life. And uh, it, it's this phenomenon that's been studied and, uh, and I learned about in school called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. That's the, kind of our common worldview in our culture right now. And here's what it is. And this was, uh, these points of belief were compiled with interviews from approximately 3,000 teenagers. So listen and see if these sound... Like they, they sound familiar. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay, good. There's a God. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number two. Number three. Here's where we kind of get off track. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. So basically, kind of everybody makes it to heaven. Just try to be good. God is there as a fail-safe. Main thing in life is just to kind of be happy and, and, and find your way to, you know, feeling good. 
That's, that's our common worldview, but that is not at all what Jesus taught. That's not Christianity. And so, you know, it, it resonates with us. This, part of us is, goes, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. That sounds pretty good. The problem is Jesus is the Word in the flesh. Jesus is the, the representation of the Father. Jesus' words, again, it's not just hear them, but it's obey them. So we have a choice. Am I going to go with our culture or am I going to go with Jesus? And if, if you're not familiar with Jesus' teachings, that's the starting point is, okay, I've got to listen to what he's saying, hear, hear what he had to teach. But then you have a choice to make if, if you're going to accept and, and follow that or follow what our culture is saying. Um, and so Jesus, uh, just to contrast that in John 15, if you turn over there with me, you know, the, the, the moralistic therapeutic deism says, yeah, God is just there if I really need him in a pinch. Otherwise, I'm going to kind of rely on myself. But in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's an absolutely dependent relationship. If you think about the the vine, this is the vine here, this part that goes up. That's the vine. And then the branches come off from that. So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. That is not a situation where... Oh, yeah, God is there just if I need him. You're completely dependent on Jesus. That's what Jesus says his followers should be. And he says if you don't, if you cut yourself off, you're going to die and you, you, you're thrown in the fire and burn. That's a different situation Jesus describes. Uh, and we don't t- have time to read all of this. I encourage you to read it on your own um, to get a, a little more thorough view of this. But in verse uh, 16, he says, You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This verse is important because it it explains why Jesus chose us, the purpose that he chose us, right? Why did he choose us? So that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And whose glory does that bring? Who does that bring glory to? This brings glory to God. It says uh, a little bit farther down uh, that God is the one. Whoops, I'm getting mixed up in my notes. God is the one that gets the glory. So God is the gardener. We're the branches. We produce fruit, and that brings God glory. So that's our purpose is not to be happy. Our purpose is not to be comfortable. Our purpose is to bring God glory. Our purpose is to live the life that he planned for us. For his goodness. And, and, and the cool thing about that is that his goodness is multiplied out into the world. That's what fruit is. is It's something good that wasn't there before, that, that is only from God. So that, that's our purpose. That's our meaning. That's our, uh, what, what is actually ultimately going to bring us fulfillment. The thing about moralistic therapeutic deism is if you're out to, to lead a life of comfort and, and just to kind of be happy, that's, that's something that you're never going to get to. You will never, ever find that. But if you're, Jesus says if you, if you seek your life, you will lose it. If you try to gain the wor- world, you'll lose yourself. But if you deny yourself, uh, Luke 9, if you carry your cross for me, if you, if you give up your life for my purposes, you will find it. There's nothing more fulfilling than emptying yourself, as we sang about, for God, so you can use me. I give myself away so you can use me. And then you watch God use you, and there's nothing else like that in the world. To feel like God is using you for a higher calling, for a greater purpose. That just tells me we were made for that. 
We were made for mission. We were made for His purpose, for His calling, for His kingdom. Not to just, oh, I'm going to try to make it through and be happy. No, to, to, to be, be spent, to spend our lives in a, in a cause that's greater than ourselves. That's built into us to do that. And uh, uh, that, that's why, you know, when you, when you have moments where you feel like, wow, God really used me, it's exhilarating. It's amazing. Uh, in our small group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and how do we know what God is telling us to do. And, and that's going to get to our third point here in a, in a second, life's direction. But Nicole Lee was sharing about how she just really tries to listen to what the Spirit is telling her and then act on it. And Nicole Lee, if you know her, is one of the most fruitful people in our fellowship. She's incredibly fruitful. But it's not to to uh, her glory, it's to God's glory. She's just listening to God and just going, okay, God, I'm going to talk to that person, or okay, I'm going to make that phone call, or okay, I'm going to do this or do that. And, and then she watches God work through her, and she bears a lot of fruit because she's just listening to the Spirit and acting on it. And it's, it's cool. That's when you really see God work is when you're in the mission because you see these coincidences happen, or you see, oh, I see what God was doing. I didn't even realize it. If you're just kind of like, if your goal is just to sort of live a comfortable life, of course you're not going to really see God, you know, working and answering prayers and all that kind of stuff. You don't really need his help for that, right? But if you're trying to, to, to live a, a life of mission and purpose and cause and, and, and to benefit the, 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 those around you, you're going to see God work through that. And, and then you watch miracles happen. And it's, it's an incredible thing to watch happen. So in John uh, 16, a little bit farther, talking about keeping in step with the Spirit, uh, Jesus says he's going to have to leave, but Jesus himself is going to have to leave, but he's going to send a counselor to guide us. And in, in John 16, verse 8, it says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit has been given us to guide us in this mission and to guide us in this this. Effort to bring God glory and to bear much fruit. And again, we're not, it's not like we, we have a mission and we ask God, hey, bless me in this mission. Here's what I want to do. It's God has a mission in the world, right? And he's doing something in the world. And we are trying to open ourselves up to that mission and be used by him for that purpose and for that cause. You know, Jesus says, I have all authority and I'm sending you out into the world to make disciples, to, to feed the, the, the hungry, to, to help the sick. Jesus sends us out on mission. So wherever you are in your life, you are a missionary. And you've got to be reminded of that. Like in your job or in your school or in your neighborhood, you are a sent missionary from Jesus, if you're a follower of him. And so you can either reject that calling and try to just, you know, get by and, and focus on your own comfort. Or you can open yourself up to that mission and go, okay, God, what do you have in store for me today? And so this idea of being led by the Spirit is being led in that mission of him going, you know, that's what this whole story of the book of Acts is, is the Spirit leading him here and the Spirit leading him there. And you try this, oh, it didn't work. Okay, I'm going to, okay, I will try this. And, and, and then God, God opens doors. And, 
So this it's interaction with the Holy Spirit and His Word, but it's on the mission, on the journey, on this uh, on this great cause that's bigger than ourselves. And uh, so when, when what we were talking about in our small group as far as how do I know if it's God? How do I know if it's if it's His voice? You know, if I feel like, well, I think He wants me to do this, but I'm not sure. How do I know what you know? What what kind of steps do I take? And uh, I thought of a of an analogy about this. Uh, like last night, I, I went down to San Diego and did a, uh, a worship concert for the Singles Ministry down there, and, and, and they invited me down. So I drove down there yesterday afternoon. I got back about midnight last night, so I'm a little tired and scattered. But uh, but amen, I'm here. Um, uh, so anyway, I I, I got an t- uh, email from them saying what the location was. And you know how San Diego is? There's all these, if you've been down there, there's all these little communities, all these little uh, neighborhoods that have similar names to them. You know, they're all Spanish names. Uh, you know, there's Chula Vista and Esta this and, you know, Rancho that. And you know what I mean? And, and so the brother had given me the correct address, but the, the, the city wasn't right. And so, um, you know, I put it into Google. And, uh, but this is before I left. So I put it in Google and I'm looking. And then I happened to notice the street view. And I saw the Street View picture, and it was kind of this big brick wall. Uh, and so I was like, maybe this is, and it looked kind of like a little bit of a weird neighborhood, you know, and there's this big brick wall, uh, kind of a strip mall but old. And I thought, maybe that's kind of like a, and this is where they're supposed to have worship night. So I'm like, maybe it's kind of like this cool hipster place, you know, like in San Diego where you go, and it's just a scary-looking brick wall, and you go in there, it's really cool. You know, there's a lot of those in San Diego. But then I zoom in on the, on the street view, and I see the sign, and it's like a, a, a shoe store. I'm like, I don't think this is right. And, and uh, he had actually given me, it's, it's supposed to be a church, and so he'd given me a name of that church that they were renting. So I, I Googled that church in San Diego, and then I was able to find it. It was the same address, but it was a different city. And it was like 40 minutes away from the other one. And so I'm so glad, like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I went you know, looks first. I happened to see that street view, and I went to the right place because I kind of barely made it down there in time as it was. But but that's kind of what listening to the, the promptings of the Spirit are like. You kind of go, okay, I think this is it. But then you look at the street view, and you go, I'm not sure if that looks right. And then you kind of get advice and input, and you talk to other people, and you look at the Bible, and, okay, yeah, I think God is really wanting me to do this. Then you step out, and you do it, and, and, you, and you're on this journey, and you go into whatever that is that he has for you. But there's a lot of kind of investigating and, and asking God and looking at the Bible and asking advice. and you see what I mean? You kind of use all the resources you have, and God guides you through it all. And it's so exciting when you feel like he's answering your prayers or he's, he's, he's kind of coming right behind you or the Spirit is going ahead of you and opening doors for you. And that's, that's kind of what the whole story of the Bible is, is God working and then inviting us into his mission. And it's just so, so cool. So three practicals before... We uh, take communion here uh, with this idea of living. Number one is make sure you spend time alone with God reading his word every day this week. And I know that should seem obvious, but it's amazing how we let that get knocked out of our schedule. And uh, there's a story in the Bible where Mary and Martha are these two sisters that Jesus goes to their house. And uh, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching Martha is running all over the house trying to get everything ready for this lunch they're going to have. And Martha is frustrated with Mary because Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. And, and, and Martha's doing all this work. And she gets so exasperated, she tells Jesus. She interrupts his teaching. Jesus, tell my sister to help me. 
And I love that story because I can relate so much, you know, to Martha. And Jesus says, Martha, you're so distressed and worried about all these things. Look at Mary. She's chosen what is better. Only one thing is needed, Jesus says. One thing is needed, and she, that's the one that she's chosen. What, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. I mean, man, what was, he, what was he saying? He's saying that the most important thing is, is listening to Jesus' voice. He was using it as a teaching tool uh, opportunity. Jesus says, one thing is needed. When Jesus looks at your schedule and all the hurried and busy and things that you have to do, he says, one thing is needed. Listen to my voice. That is the most important thing. If you're going to do anything today, make sure you take time to listen to my voice. No matter how busy you are, no matter what demands are on you at your job or your neighbor, you know, your, your, your stuff that's going on in your neighborhood or at your school or, in, or whatever, make sure you take time every day to listen. One thing is needed, Jesus says, right? Number two, uh, share the things that you're learning with someone else. Uh, often God gives us counsel. He gives us Rima through advice and through uh, others. But then we also get super encouraged by what we're learning from each other. This should be a fellowship where we all have something to share. We all come in with something we learned last week from the Holy Spirit. Something we learned last week uh, from the Bible, from reading something. Something we saw God do, the Holy Spirit work in this way or that way. Uh, every every Sunday before we uh, spend time uh, rehearsing, our whole worship team comes together and we, we all often share a way that we saw God work last week or some, some cool thing God did. And it just buoys all our spirits. It helps all of us get encouraged. And so share what you learn with someone else. And the last thing, last practical challenge is to take some missionary step of faith. Like step out on faith. Something that maybe you're afraid of. Maybe having a conversation with someone at work about Jesus or about your own life. Maybe getting vulnerable about where you've been in your walk with God, or, but some missionary step of faith. By missionary, I mean this is part of God's journey that you're stepping out on along with him. Take some step of faith. Before we take communion, I want us to, to read this verse together, Hebrews 12, uh, talking about living the life that God has given us to live. The encouraging thing is we have someone who is absolute perfection that's going ahead of us, that we can look to as an example. Um, have you ever tried to play a sport with someone that is like an, uh, a professional level? Uh, or, you know, maybe you're a basketball player and you got a chance to hang out with another basketball player who's a professional. And it's almost like they're a different species. You know what I mean? Like I used to play a lot of, uh, I used to play a lot of volleyball at, um, at the YMCA. And, uh, you know, we'd play with, with players that played in college and stuff like, and I could kind of hold my own, but this guy came in a couple times. He was a professional pro player uh, on in, in Manhattan Beach. First of all, he's like seven feet tall. His arm, you know, like his shoulders. My, here's my shoulders. His shoulders are like there. You know, and he's just. So we were playing twos. You know, we were playing two man, and he and I are playing together, and it was just almost comical because he's just like it's like another species. It's like set him a ball anywhere and just. You know, straight into the ground, crack the uh, you know crack the floor with how hard he hits. And uh, you know, I thought I can play volleyball. I'm okay. And then I play with this guy. I'm like, wow, you know. Uh, but that's that's kind of what Jesus is like. He's the is, Hebrews 12 says he's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of faith. When it comes to faith, stepping out on faith, living by faith, he is the absolute perfecter. He's the professional. And so in this journey, we always have him. We always have him to look at and go, okay, what, how am I doing? Okay, look at Jesus. And it says uh, he's a perfecter 
pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's a battle to stay faithful for the long term. It's a battle to be a Christian. It's a battle to follow Jesus' words. But we have his example of self-sacrifice always to look to. And that's why we have this time every week of remembering his body and blood given for us. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll take communion together. Thank you so much uh, for Jesus' body and blood given for us, God. And uh, thank you that he is the author and perfecter, the perfect example for us of how to live and how to make it through life. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, encourage all of us in this time of meditation uh, to draw nearer to you, uh, to remember Jesus' body and blood, and to recommit ourselves to you, to examine ourselves as the Bible talks about, and to proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. Thank you for this community of faith and how we can learn and be encouraged from one another as well, and that we can share this time of communion together as a body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.